Hey everyone, my name is Jason Brown, managing partner with PGP Advisory Services. We are an advisory services uh, firm based out of San Antonio, Texas, and we help business owners unlock value for their business uh, by preparing for and successfully exiting the business. Uh, and we all know that really an important piece of our business is understanding our customers. And in this uh, sale process, customer is the buyer. So we're, we're fortunate today to have an opportunity to get a perspective on the business through the customer's lens uh, in the form of a buyer. Uh, today, we have BJ Jacobs, who is the managing principal at Goshen Park Capital, um, here to share a little bit about his experiences um, in the acquisition process. Uh, so BJ, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little about your background, that would be really helpful. Sounds great. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, I am Manager Principal of Goshen Park Capital, which is an operationally focused group, uh, equity group. Uh, we call ourselves a search fund, but we are comprised of a group of investors, operators, and professionals who have done this a few times, uh, although uh, we are looking for a single lower middle market business south of $50 million in revenue to go in and put boots in the ground, operate and continue the legacy of uh, that business owner, primarily family owners, founder owners, uh, but we're looking nationwide. So that's Goshen Park. And prior to doing, to launching Goshen Park in 2018, I spent about 10 years uh, in the professional services world helping really large law firms get better at being profitable, delivering value to their clients, and basically started three profitability, pricing, and legal project management teams uh, in those firms uh, that did not have it. Uh, so in about 10 years, those uh, that discipline really evolved in the legal space and now is uh, not just a buzzword, but a, a core value creator for uh, the legal community. Okay. So what, what led you going from the legal world um, to, to wanting to start your own business? What, what kind of prompted you to, to make that jump? Yeah, well, I actually, I think my first job out of college was actually pretty entrepreneurial. I was um, a financial advisor. So I think oh. that, 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 that itch was never fully scratched. I spent about three years, had a business partner, we built a book of business. Yeah. And I learned I wanted to, um, I enjoyed selling. It was probably the best best role for me out of school, just learn how to sell myself. Right. Uh, but, but I wanted, I felt a need to, to really understand sort of fundamental business, um, you know, uh, disciplines. I wanted to learn how to operate a business. I wanted to learn, you know, about actual finance, how corporate finance meant. Right. Um, and so after a couple of stops and obviously spending a decade in, in the law firm and understanding how to operate a, a really large business, um, I, I wanted to get back to that and um, always felt like I could operate a business that was already going and had momentum better than starting something from scratch. Didn't have any bright startup ideas, uh, but knew that, um, you know, I wanted to create value for myself in the same way that I was creating value for an organization. So I think it was just a, a combination of uh, sort of personal needs and professional wants um, and, and really what my skill set was in, in operating a business, getting my sleeves rolled, you know, rolling up the sleeves and getting on the ground and building teams and working with fantastic people is really why I wanted to, to start the, start Goshen Park and, and hope of, uh, of uh, operating a, a great company. 
Excellent, excellent. And so with that perspective, if you can share a little bit about the, uh, the acquisition process uh, and kind of how, how you're going about finding the right business for you, uh, that would be helpful. Certainly. So I, I spend most of my days having one-on-one conversations with business owners, typically, I guess, family-owned businesses, founder-led uh, businesses where, you know, they're deeply involved in the business still. Um, and it's typically a very industry-focused uh, approach. So I, I do I myself and my team do a lot of research on particular industries that we find attractive that have um, really good macro uh, wins, uh, really good tailwinds, and and frankly, in this environment, have um, a lot of, um, uh, say, operating advantages to, to having uh, workers uh, working remotely if, if, if they can. Right. Um, I typically end up, like I said, spending, you know, anywhere from, you know, 40 to 45 minutes having a first conversation with an owner, sometimes shorter, just trying to understand what their needs are, if they're interested, um, and bringing on a growth partner or potentially exiting the business, trying to really understand if they're, um, you know, a deep management bench, if they have kids in the business, what that looks like, just trying to understand the story, right? right like part, right. a lot of it is just understanding people, and I really enjoy just learning about how uh, these highly entrepreneurial people and minds started these these entities. So I, I sort of take that as personal enjoyment. Uh, typically, after that first conversation, uh, if they're interested in moving forward, and, and I find that uh, the industry is interesting, the company is the right size and scale, uh, typically we, we end up uh, having a few conversations about um, size, financials, growth, um, obviously, you know, very protective of that information, yeah. sometimes sign an NDA if they need to. Uh, but then if we like it, we'll, we'll go ahead and make an offer on a business. Uh, and it's really not a long drawn out process and it's designed that way because, uh, I've done a lot of research on the industry already. Right. Right? Uh, so really looking for maybe four or five key bets, um, on the industry as well as the company. And if those things prove out, we can move pretty quickly through, you know, anywhere from, from 90 days to close, to closing the business and being on the ground, um, you know, three months later. Nice, nice. So, so walk us through maybe an example of an industry you're looking at and then maybe talking through, right? Because there's going to be sellers uh, viewing this and so again, helping them frame where does, where does their business fit and how attractive their business might be relative to, uh, to other opportunities. If you can walk us through what are those characteristics that you're looking at from an operator's perspective in the business to determine whether or not that business is attractive. And so an example might be helpful to kind of crystallize this in the minds of our owners. Yep. Yep. So something that we're, that i personally find attractive. Um, again, a lot of these macro trends are just sort of, Hey, what do I like? What do I think yeah. is interesting? Uh, yeah. But also what's, what's happening in the world. Um, something we're looking into is the geospatial industry. So think, um, geographic information systems, uh, location analytics, and business intelligence. And there's a number of verticals. I know uh, insurance is a big one, insure tech. Um, we, we actually are, are looking at retail plays, which you think is sort of an, an interesting place to look since there are a lot of uh, entities that, that are not getting as much traffic and visitors right now. Right. Uh, but I think uh, retailers are trying to understand 
and have always been trying to understand where their customers are coming from, how, they, um, how they're interacting in their stores, where are they, how can we reach them, what sort of marketing works best so it's very targeted. Yep. Uh, so and it typically takes um, the best solutions right now in the last probably five to 10 years have come from uh, individuals who have uh, likely started a, with a geography degree and have taken that and, and written the, the, the digital transformation forward and understood what information systems and how important they are and have a specialty around geographic information systems, the location intelligence, right? Um, so they've started many companies that are typically asset light that have proprietary software that serve a particular business use case. Like for instance, one that we were looking at is uh, a, a banking uh, site selection uh, solution. Uh, another one is a uh, retail uh, solution for uh, small and medium businesses, right? Mm. Um, so very, typically the companies we're looking for have very good understanding of product market fit. They have strong engineering teams already in place. Uh, they may have only one product and they may be working on a, a product set. Mm. Um, but these are obviously businesses that don't require uh, people to be sitting next to each other right. to have right. success. Um, so that's something that's very important to us, uh, as well as recurring revenue dynamics, right? where their customers are coming back to them again and again, uh, either paying uh, you know, uh, quarterly, monthly, yearly subscription or non-subscription, but it's something that is ongoing and highly critical to their business. So product criticality is something that we're also highly focused on. Um, and then, of course, the, the industry growth. Um, and, and something that is um, uh, under, we try, something we try to understand is how the, the the end customer market is growing, not right. just who they're selling to, but who they're selling to is selling to. So typically, these are business to business plays where uh, the ultimate end customer market there's a there's a new use case coming about. There's a new customer set that are using um, the information or knowledge or product. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that we're, we're positioned in the right place in the, the value chain to, to capture that growth. Quick question on that. So, so how do you, or what do you find as you're talking to owners there, right? Like, so we, we just for, for the audience's uh, perspective, BJ and I both went to uh, business school together at, at Michigan Ross. Um, and so we bring a, a similar skill set uh, to the table. Um, and, and owners come from a lot of different backgrounds and have a lot of different experiences. Um, as you're going through and having these conversations and at least thinking through uh, dynamics like recurring revenue, criticality of revenue, those terms might not resonate with, with owners out there. Um, what do you find in terms of how owners are thinking about um, these same topics that, that you're, you're describing um, and, and what can they be doing uh, to help strengthen, strengthen the, the revenue streams that they have and make it more attractive to buyers? It, it, it's funny you so say you're right. In, in most cases, the the verbiage might be different, but yeah. the the intuit, intuition is there. Right? Right. It's, right. it's about how how many times I hear that 
that business owners try to find more ways to, to, to entrench themselves within the core customers. So if right. they can, um, you know, deliver not just on one piece of a product, but also deliver some services some wraparound services around that product. Um, that is one way. If, if the product is focused on, um, you know, an area of revenue generation for their customer, that is something that is highly critical in, in nature and that their customer uh, ultimately needs to operate as well. Right. So those are, it, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting how intuitive many of the business owners are, but it's, it's, it's not complicated stuff. It's, it's right. really about standing out and being important um, to your customer. And I think most business owners understand that. that. Right. And, and what do you find are the ways that they go about doing this? Part of what we want to do is make sure that we leave the owners um, who, who may not be at that point, right? Who don't have those, those, that level of relationship, that depth of relationship, and they may see and, and understand it. Um, what do you see business owners who do this well, what do they do to, to, to get to that point um, where they've got that type of quality of revenue stream that's going to be attractive to a buyer? Now, the qualities that I see is that it, typically a business owner who has been successful or at least is thinking in that, that direction are they're constantly talking with their customers. Um, they're spending less time, uh, you know, in the business, so to speak, doing something tactical and operational. They're spending more time visiting customers, talking to them, having conversations via Zoom, and asking questions about how they can be more impactful with their work. Or it may even just be piloting and experimenting with the feedback that they receive from customers and developing new products. So it, it takes a little bit of uh, additional work beyond, um, you know, the making sure that all the trains are running on time and um, that your team is highly motivated, but it, it's really asking interesting questions about uh, what your customers' needs are, and even what their what their customers' needs right. are, so you can try to see around uh, around a few corners, if you will, um, so that you can ensure that you're not just delivering value to your clients, but that they are able to continue delivering value in a way that's sustainable. Nice, nice. And so, a key enabler to that seems to be the team. Right? If you're going to be outside uh, taking care of the customer, somebody needs to be at home uh, making sure that that the operation is running correctly. And talk a little bit about the, the team and how you view the team and where that fits into your assessment of, of a business and the attractiveness of that business. Yeah, the team is something that I put pretty pretty high in, in terms of ranking, you know, whether I like an opportunity. It's, it's something I say to myself every day. I want to find a fantastic team. And really what that brings, boils down to, to me is that there is some, there's a management muscle there and it's and it's it's typically um if not you know one or two uh you know individuals who could step into the role but may be missing a, a couple things in their skills toolbox is typically they think a lot like the owner mm -hmm. they they may have the owner's ear and maybe you know they have a functional expertise um, in a specific area, but maybe haven't built out the processes or, or, or systems around like sales operations, right? They may be really great salespeople. They may be, in some cases, able to 
to train a few salespeople behind them, but they don't have a sales ops process where anyone that has a capability in sales can slide into the role easily and understand exactly how to sell, who they're selling to, what the process is, what the pipeline is, how do we work that pipeline. Um, so it, it, it typically involves a team of individuals who understand what the owner is trying to accomplish, um, understand what the long-term goals of the organization is, and, and maybe they just, you know, maybe don't have an interest in sliding into that role or they, they might, um, you know, maybe missing a few key pieces or understanding around what, what, the, what the capabilities are of the business in terms of size and scale, right? Um, they, they're typically insiders who don't have an outside perspective. So that's where uh, I think an outsider coming in can add some value. Um, additionally, love teams that uh, are self-motivated, right? That are constantly challenging themselves to answer tough problems. And that's a, that's just a culture that that's typically built by an owner. It's um, always asking ourselves, how can we be better? Um, what sort of problems can we solve today and being excited about solving that problem, not just, um, you know, getting to the line or barely over the line of delivering the, the service to the, to the customer. So, um, it, and it's pretty clear delineation when, when you have a conversation, you can see it, you can yeah. feel it. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a soft, it's a sort of a soft trait, uh, but you can, you can tell pretty quickly, uh, whether you have a team of problem solvers or whether you need to develop that a little bit more. Right. Right. I, th I think you hit on a key point, um, for, for our owners, there's, there's businesses that are highly dependent uh, on the owners and, and are, it's a risky enterprise without the owner's presence. And there's something to having a business uh, where the owner is, is a value add, where, where the owner is a, an injection of horsepower. It's the nitro to the engine that already runs. Yeah. Um, and so a good, good call out there uh, on that one. And from, from an owner's perspective, I'm sure they ask you the question, um, they've invested a lot of time uh, and, and this is likely one of the, the biggest transactions that they're going to be doing. Um, at least most of my clients want to see their, their businesses be successful into the future. Uh, and so can you share a little bit about how you position yourself and your value add um, and kind of how you taking over the business, the continuation of their vision and maybe even pushing that further? Yeah, it's, it's different for every type of buyer. I think uh, something that I personally try to do very early on is build trust because it, it requires a different level of trust than your traditional financial buyer or strategic acquirer uh, because uh, I'm literally going to be taking over their baby, taking over yeah. their team and, and promising that I'm going to treat them well. Right. Um, so very different style. Um, something that I, I spend a lot of time on is just trying to understand the motivations of, of the owner. Um, obviously want to understand what they're doing, you know, on the day of the close, but more importantly, want to understand how frequently how frequently, if at all, they want to check in, uh, what sort of relationships do they have through the business? Um, I, I spent a lot of time around the story development around the people. Mm -hmm. Right, having individual conversations with those with those people, with the professionals in the business. Um, obviously, when the time is right uh, and the setting is right. 
but I, I, I do spend a lot of time trying to understand uh, what operationally needs to happen, what have been the challenges before on a uniquely personal level as opposed to, um, you know, just slotting people into different places. I want to understand um, the people who have the knowledge that right, is sometimes right. hidden um, and not written down. We need to get that written down, right? But in a way that's going to help support them really bring a, a different level of skill to their job. Um, cause they, they, they're, they're the lifeblood of the business to this point, And in most cases, so they, they are some of the most valuable people, um, to the business and the industry. And we need to make sure that they're well taken care of, well supported and well enabled to drive the business forward. Right. And so we, we would be remiss if we didn't, uh, if we didn't touch on financials, uh, <laughs> and, and as you're, you're going through the process, there's an operating model, there's kind of industry dynamics. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of what you're uh, we'll touching on operationally here, uh, there's an expectation that'll, that'll show up in the financials. And so if you can talk a little bit about, at a high level, the, the quality that you, your expectations around quality of financials, what you're looking at in the financials, uh, and just give some perspective on, on how uh, some of these core uh, operating uh, pieces of the business model show up for you in the financials and what you're looking for there. Yep. So I've, I've had a, a lot of conversations with owners who have, and I'll, I'll just be frank, financials are everywhere in terms of yeah. uh, whether it's in QuickBooks. Uh, I've heard horror stories of like financials in a shoebox, basically. <laughs> um, it, it, it always makes my life easier when there is a system being used. So to the extent that, that an owner has, you know, is using QuickBooks or some sort of uh, system they can easily generate reports, um, and, and I can, I, there's a there's all sorts of new styles of reports that, that people will ask for, but to the extent that you can, um, you know, get into some system, I think it'll make the entire process a lot smoother, easier, and help you answer questions and, and lose less sleep, frankly. Yep. Um, I think the first thing I'm looking for, the, the last three years worth of financials on a monthly basis, uh, meaning, you know, revenue, expenses, I want to see EBITDA, um, gross uh, retention rates of software business. Um, typically like to see uh, if it's too early in the process. I understand customer lists are sometimes a sensitive area, and maybe that's something that can be visited later. But to an extent, an anonymized uh, customer list where we can see um, just revenue aggregation. To uh, just typically love to see highly fragmented revenues across the customer list. Right. Um, uh, something I also like to see is um, trying to understand what industries those customers are in if they're not in the same one, what sort of dynamics they're going through. Um, trying to understand what contracts look like uh, if there are specific contract lengths. Um, but, but many of those items can be, you know, pushed off until we're pretty certain there is a, 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 a transaction to happen. Yep. I would say the, the first three to five years worth of financials and growth year over year, monthly revenue, uh, EBITDA is, is the starting point and probably the most important part of the conversation. And, and, and how important, so if, if we're looking, you know, these are all established businesses that, that I understand you're looking for. Are you looking for growth year over year for the past several years? Are you looking for just a consistent level of performance? How do you kind of go through that process of evaluating what you're seeing? Yep. So uh, 
consistency typically trumps uh, great years versus bad years. We okay. love consistent uh, base hits, doubles. Um, but I will say that um, it, in, in particular to Tagoshan Park, we are looking for um, growing industries. And our, we think that our margin of safety is in the industry growth, right? right. Um, understanding that typically these, these owners have been in the business uh, for a long time and sometimes, you know, decades. They have more industry knowledge and, and frankly, more experience managing within that industry than, than I have, right? right. Um, so for me, as a new um, leader of the entity, I want to spend a good amount of time trying to understand what that landscape is, trying to be mentored in some respects from that owner, right. um, and really trying to understand that my team, right? So an order way to do that is if, um, you know, there's a rising tide that raises all ships. Right, uh, right, right. You want to be able to, to, to if, if, if there is a mistake, and uh, I don't want it to be um, a fatal mistake to, to my economic outcome. I want it to be a learning experience for the team so that we can all learn together and continue growing together. So I think the, for the first thing that we're looking at is um, strong industry growth, at least two to three times U.S. GDP historically. Yep. Ideally, we're looking for, you know, double digit growth year over year uh, in both revenue as well as profitability. Um, there are trade-offs there uh, based <laughs> upon the industry. I think it's right. specific to every, to every, to every industry and, and niche within the industry. Um, and we're willing to discuss some of those trade-offs, but yeah. generally speaking, uh, double digit growth is a, is a good solve for, for most wounds, uh, even in the early stage of the negotiation. Got it. No, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, so I think that leads to, to another interesting point, right? We talk about the, the unknowns and, and potential risk. Uh, and so you touch on being new to the industry and, and what financial position does the business need to be in in order to, uh, to kind of mitigate potential risk on that side. And so we are in the world of COVID. Uh, and, and that's impacted everyone significantly had lots of conversations with, uh, with clients around what that means. And so uh, I'll just spend a couple of minutes here, but if you can just talk about how COVID has impacted broadly, how you're uh, considering businesses and, and the risk profile of the individual entities and, and just how you feel as a person bringing capital to the table and stepping into the driver's seat in, in the midst of a crisis. Uh, curious to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting the conversations that I've had throughout um, you know, the, the, the buyer community with the buyers of all shapes and, and sizes and types. Um, everyone was really, really hesitant. Like everyone stopped, right. As, as everyone in the world did stopped in, in Q1 2020. Um, the processes that, that many of the buyers like myself went through was uh, doing a little bit more deep research on particular industries and impacts downstream, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means is if we were in the middle of a transaction, it meant, hey, let's see how this plays out. So I'm, I'm sure there are some sellers who have gone through that and, and maybe a bit frustrated by the fact that the processes were extended. Mm -hmm. um, what that meant for Goshen Park uh, in particular was, we want to stop and take a look at the, the industries that we were thinking about evaluating and just do a deep dive um, at almost as if we were, um, again, an outsider, right? right like right. as if we were coming to it with fresh eyes. So we actually spent a good two or three months uh, not 
reaching out to owners, right? We yeah. were continuing the conversations we were having. But in terms of new outreach, we really wanted to focus deeply on the industries that we thought were going to accelerate outside, uh, you know, after uh, this process so that we knew that we were in the right places. And frankly, some of the early outreach we did um, just wasn't the right timing. And it, it didn't make sense for, for us, nor did it make sense for owners because they were so busy managing their teams and making right. sure um, that, that their employees still had jobs in many cases or in, in the sad situation where they did have to uh, contract their teams, how they were going to do so in a way that was sustainable and potentially bring those folks back. Um, so uh, many of the conversations I had in, in Q1 and Q2 of 2020 were, how can I be helpful? Um, mm -hmm. Here's what I'm having. Here's what, here's the conversations I'm having. Here's what I'm learning um, because I have better relationships or a different sort of, angle of relationship with with banks and, and other lenders it really meant putting together the ppp process for for for, for some um business owners like walking right. them through the steps trying to show them uh, you know what impact it might potentially have on their business over you know the next year or two or three years but also and, and, and to a lesser extent how that's going to impact me as a potential buyer right acquirer. right right but in some cases, we did talk about that. But most of the, I think most of everyone's focus was how can we be helpful in ensuring um, the backbone of the U.S. economy, being lower middle market businesses, um, it can survive and, and ultimately thrive thrive through COVID-19. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, well, I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I think that now the conversation Stations have somewhat changed, and I'm starting to see, um, you know, owners think a little bit more about, hey, hey do, do I want to really go through another situation like this? Um, the conversations have been, um, you know, what sort of contractual recurring revenue um, are, are important to us? Like that, that's something that's really important to us now. Is is not just recurring or reoccurring revenue, but is it contractual? Mm. Um, some of the considerations that, that my team has is, um, you know, if a, if an organization did take a PPP loan and it's not a deal breaker, it's, well, what does that lead? What does that mean for, for, for our potential liability if we're in the business? What if it's not forgivable? Um, what if there was a pay tax roll or payroll tax deferral and how do we treat that in a potential transaction? Mm -hmm, do, do we, typically put it in an escrow, right? Is it a dollar-for-dollar right. dollar exchange? Uh, so those are the additional considerations, but I think the core is still, is it a potential growth market, even if 2020 didn't turn out the way, uh, you know, folks projected it to, to go? Um, and in most cases, it's, you know, it, it, if there was an acceleration through 2020, because it wasn't a, a positive impact on the business, right. well, then, do we need to be putting more stock into 2019 and what to expect out of 2021? So it's not a, it's not a, uh, um, you know, a deal breaker to have, to be impacted by um, COVID um, in, in the first quarter of this year. And in fact, most businesses were, but it's, you know, let, let's not take an opportunity to, to stick it to, to sellers in terms right. of valuation. It's well, let's understand the fundamentals of the business and what we can expect to come, when we come out of the situation. Well, so, so just to push on that a little bit on the valuation perspective, right? The, the risk exists. So even with contractual relationships, uh, the risk 
Uh, so we're having a resurgence here in, in San Antonio, Texas, or, or our first uh, kind of go at it in 2,200 cases in the county uh, yesterday. And so, you know, when you, when you look at kind of the potential tail on, on this, um, how do you think through the, the potential risk that you take on moving into a business, assuming that, you know, PPP can even be forgiven, the contractual relationships are there, um, you know, we don't know if the economy is going to all rebound in, in the next two or three months or if it's going to be six months or eight months. How do you then dial that into, into your analysis? Or do you or do you say, hey, based on past performance, we believe this is going to rebound and, and you go out, place your bet and, and move forward? No, we, we, do take, uh, we do take into consideration. I think the main consideration is, is it delayed demand or is it demand that has completely gone away, right? And is not returning right, uh, anytime right. soon. So if it's delayed, then, you know, initially, I, I think many, many individuals thought that July 4th, right, that we were going to be through this and the economy returned somewhat back to normal. And now we're right. seeing some different information. Um, if it's delayed demand that will eventually return, um, and, and it's not dependent upon schools opening or bars opening or things right, of that sort. Right, right. It may just be a you know policy decisions or some other um, adjustment um, to how uh, people engage with the business. That's something that we think very positively about. Got it. If it's demand that you know is reliant upon you know let's say if it's uh, you know bars opening and we have a POS software system that isn't being used because bars are not open, that's a little bit of a different situation and significant. Right. So um, that, that that's sort of how we think about the dichotomy about how we think about it. That, that's real helpful. I'll just call out for for those owners out there. I've got a client right now um, who who actually is having the best year ever. Um, and we're, we're working on getting the business sold. Uh, but what happened was this exact dynamic of pent up demand. So the, the demand for the services went away during stay at home uh, and, and all of that demand unleashed on the business <laughs> once things opened back up. And they had the first month in May when, they, when things reopened, had the best month ever in 11 years of the company. Um, and so to, to that point, that is one thing to keep an eye on. And, and I just throw out there for owners as well to consider uh, the business model uh, and where there are opportunities for for new growth, um, what potential lines of business are at risk, um, and, and how do you position your business to, to be resilient? You know, do you double down on what's really core? Um, and do you kind of understand these concepts of where is the business going to be um, as we come out of this? Because we will. Uh, we're, it's, it's, we have no other choice, uh, right? The, our economy will come out of this and, and things will be better in the future. Um, the last thing in the COVID, uh, BJ, I'd like to get your perspective on is, is leases. And so for those business owners that are in a lease, uh, I've had several conversations around abatement and deferment. Uh, and, and from kind of the perspective of its implications on a deal, if, if there's a deferment that gets uh, pushed out to the end of the lease term, how do you think about that? Or is, it, is that kind of a detail that you, you manage on a, on a kind of one-off basis? Uh, it's it's definitely a case by case basis. Um, certainly not a deal breaker. I think some one consideration is how important is that real estate to the success of the business. And I think that's what every industry is having. Um, and in some cases, a shock to their system to understand that hey, maybe we don't have the same real estate needs that we 
we thought we had, right. uh, or thought we needed to be successful. Right. Um, so I think that's more of a conversation about how do we continue to expand this business in the new world. Um, and in some cases where the real estate, it's definitely necessary. Well, then um, liquidity is, is, you know, paramount right now um, and able to being able to, to pay the bills that are absolutely necessary and only those bills necessary and pay right. people and uh, continue keeping the business open. I think that's, that is something that, that I've had lots of conversations with my advisors about is um, that's what they're telling their CEOs is um, liquidity is, is king right now. Liquidity gives you flexibility and optionality. So the extent that you can work with, um, leasors, um, that is something that's certainly not a, a negative thing in our perspective. It just needs to be managed. Um, we need to be thinking about how that would, what would that would look like and ultimately what the, the needs would be for the business in 2021 and beyond. Nice, nice. Uh, you know, I really appreciate it because part of what I see in, in my space is the, the, the focus is not always around value creation, right? And so, Right now, it's all about keeping these businesses running, keeping them kind of on track. Um, sale, not sale, that, all that gets kind of figured out um, as we move along. Um, and so would love to get your perspective on advice and whether this is relative to, to COVID or just more in general, uh, what advice would you provide to, to owners? Again, you as being the customer um, that's ultimately going to, uh, to, to, to kind of buy the business, um, advice, coaching, tips that you would give to, uh, to owners out there from, from your perspective? Uh, I would say taking care of the team and, and not having a, a lot of attrition if, if you can in this space is critical. I think uh, I'll give you one story about what I mean by that. Um, I had a, a conversation with a, a potential uh, target uh, in which they were able to um, give bonuses to their employees. Uh, it wasn't, it was a, it was a minor one, but it, it was, it was something that was so thoughtful mm. um, by the ownership. And it meant a lot more to the team, given that some of the difficulties that ind individuals were feeling throughout the organization. And it was indirect um, contrast to all the bad news they were hearing in, in April, um, all the things that they were seeing in the news, all the things that they were witnessing with family and friends. And in some cases, um, there's an individual who was going through not just COVID, but also the flooding in Michigan um, and was able to take time because of that bonus, additional time to help their community. Right. right so right. stuff like that is it's not going to show up on financials. It's not going to show up um, necessarily in the negotiating table. It's going right. to it's going to come through in the stories that I talked about, in the conversations. And that's what's going to stick out to me as, as someone who was thinking about stepping into a business and really trying to understand what the unique dynamic between you know growth is. It, it's, it's typically the people. And, and in addition to the business um, model and all of those things, right. um, it'd be a terrible situation to step into what I thought was a great business and have some key employees walk out the door because they were uh, afraid, scared, uh, concerned, didn't felt valued when in fact they were probably some of the most valuable people in the business and in the team and, and could really help drive the business forward just by their presence and knowledge and, um, and culture. So uh, take care of people because it goes far. Uh, right. Think hard about the business model. Think hard about what your customers need and be problem solving and, and try to build that culture before a, a potential buyer comes knocking. 
Yeah, great. No, appreciate it. And that's one of the things that, that, so that's our focus is on how do we unlock that, that value. Uh, and, and part of what we're hoping to accomplish through this conversation is to provide some insights um, to sellers uh, or to owners who, who may be potential sellers in the future of what things to be thinking about. It doesn't, culture change and shift doesn't happen overnight. Building the bench strength and, and the team doesn't happen overnight. These things take, take time. And ultimately, whether, whether an owner decides to sell or not to sell, actually implementing these things are just fundamental value drivers for, for the business and, and position the business to be successful uh, long term. Uh, BJ, really appreciate the time. Do you have any final thoughts? We'd also love to hear if there's anything that you'd like our owners out there uh, to hear from you. Um, last words? Last words to think hard about as you're thinking about exit the business, whether it's, you know, next year, three years, five years from now, think a lot about what uh, is important to you, what you want for your team. Um, it's, it's obviously in many cases more than just about the, the dollar number of the offer, but think about what structure looks like, uh, what your motivations are, what you want for your team. Um, and ultimately what you want for yourself in terms of uh, potential upside because, um, you know, some transactions are flexible and can give both you and the buyer what they ultimately want. So it's, it's not, a, um, you know, a, a, a you know, um, it, it can be a, a it can it sometimes not a zero-sum game. Sometimes it, it can be value creation for both, both buyers and sellers. Yeah, and that's what, that's what we always hope for. Uh, BJ, thank you so much for the time. I hope you and the family stay safe. Uh, best of luck on your continued uh, search for the right business to buy and look forward to catching up again soon. Same here, Jason. Thank you very much. Right, thank you. Best of luck. Take care.